Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Hosea chapter 3. While you're doing that, I want to take the opportunity to talk to you just kind of a family conversation for a second about what does reopening look like for New Hope. It's the conversation that's happening and will continue to happen for probably months on end to come. And I want to say just a couple of things to address this question. First, I don't think we're really close to reopening. So I want to be clear on that. When it comes to us as a church, this isn't a conversation of, hey, what does reopening look like in two weeks? What does even reopening look like in four weeks? I don't think that's really an option. But I want to say two things overall as just to update you and let you know where leadership is and where we are as we think through reopening. One is we're going to be safe. We're going to uh, listen to leadership in our city. We're going to listen to uh, authorities, and we are going to open when it is safe. We want to love this community well, and we want to set a good example in this community. And so one of the things, we want to keep you safe. We want to keep those in our community safe. We want to keep those within our church safe. And so safety is our number one concern as we think about reopening. So just know that, that that's on the forefront of our mind. But let me say this second thing, and here's the point, and here's the challenge of why I'm even bringing this up. I do know whenever we do reopen, that before we get from where we are today to getting back to this room being filled with people and children's program happening downstairs and back to quote unquote normal, before we get to that point, we are going to be able to start meeting in smaller groups. We're going to be able to start meeting in community groups eventually when it's safe. I know right now the thought of meeting with 10, 15, 20 people in a home, social distancing doesn't sound very safe, but that day will come where that will be safe and that will be okay to do. And so the point is, before we get from where we are now to get to where we will be back to quote unquote normal, there will be a season where we'll be able to gather in smaller groups and so that for us is community groups. And when that day comes, we as a church are going to avail that opportunity for us to gather in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's more important maybe than ever for you if you're listening to this and you're a part of the New Hope community or want to be a part of the New Hope community, it's important for you to get plugged into a community group. Think about it like this. Am I a part of the New Hope community? Well, I want you to answer that question, not because you watch a live stream, but answer that question based off, am I in a community group? To be a part of the New Hope community is to be a part of a community group. And that's especially true in the days to come. So I just wanna encourage you, if you're listening to this and you're not plugged into a community group, go to our website, click on the Stay Connected tab, and you'll see community groups that you can start meeting with via Zoom on a weekly basis Join one of those groups. We, as, as groups grow, we'll start new groups. Point is, is we want you to be in community with other brothers and sisters. And there will come a day where that will be the only way we're able to safely gather before we get back to the large gathering. And we want to avail ourselves. And we don't want you to be missed when that season comes because you're not connected. So I, I, my, the announcement or in the charge is now complete but the encouragement to you is get involved in a community group. And think of it this way, if you're not in a community group, if you're not plugged in a community group, 
then you're not really plugged into the community of New Hope. And so I want to encourage you, would you get plugged into community group? Feel free to reach out to us if you have questions. You can click on the communication card tab, fill that out, ask questions, and we would love to help you get plugged into a community group. Hosea chapter 3. Um, congratulations, making it through Isaiah in our reading plan, and we just started Hosea. Now, Hosea, um, the second part of Hosea is very poetic and prophetic, and so there's, that can um, be, once again, similar to Isaiah. Parts of that will be difficult to uh, understand, and so lastly, and I say it again, would you grab a study Bible to follow along? If you have not watched the Bible Project video for Hosea, go ahead and do that. That'll help you. But the first part of Hosea is, uh, is a narrative. It's a story that I want to talk about that we see a picture of God's relationship to his covenant people through the relationship of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. So let me tell you the story before we pick up in Hosea chapter 3. The story is simply this. As God tells the prophet Hosea, I want you to go marry a, a woman of whoredom is the language that is used. Go marry a prostitute. Go marry someone who is uh, sexually promiscuous. I want you to go marry her. And remember, this is someone you wouldn't want to necessarily marry because you, when you're thinking about marriage, you want them to be faithful, right? That, that's kind of an expectation in marriage. And so the thought of getting to a marriage, knowing the woman's not going to be faithful to you, was definitely a big ask of Hosea. Hosea is faithful, and he does it. And so Hosea marries her. They have children together. You can read that in Hosea 1. You can read some of the results and things that happen in Hosea 2. But as the story goes, apparently the woman, through her whoredom and through her sexual uh, misconduct and some of those things, they, their relationship is broken. Um, she ends up in a situation of uh, it's, it's not very clear. It could be she just ends up in debt in uh, prostitution. She ends up as a slave. But the point is, when we get to Hosea 3, that, she's, that they are broken, that they're not connected. But we get to Hosea 3, and I want to read it to us together. Hosea uh, chapter 3 reads this, And the Lord said again to me, Go again, love a woman, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Now, as we think just about the request that is taken here. There are three truths today that we want to think through uh, as we just understand what the message that God has for us today. Truth number one is simply this, universal adultery. What is the point of this text? What is the point of Hosea? What is the point of Hosea 1, 2, and 3? And truth number one is we see universal adultery. I want you to go back and look with me at the text again. It said, the Lord said to me, go again. 
So God's speaking to him and he says, go again. The Lord said to him, go again. So this tells us that this is a second time that Hosea is coming to this woman. It says, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Now, it doesn't give the name of Gomer here. And so some would say possibly that this is a different woman. That's whatever happened to Gomer and Hosea 1, who knows, but this is a different woman. That's possible, but it's probably more likely that this is Gomer. And the fact that her name's not mentioned is because she's already been stated. So the fact of the absence of a name actually tells us that go and love a woman is referring to his wife, Gomer, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Understand that she has greatly uh, uh, broken the covenant relationship. She has committed adultery. And she has gone and is with other man. But it says, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, we can already see, how do we see universal adultery? We just see adultery of one woman. How's that universal? Universal meaning this is a passage that is speaking to all of us and what we have done in our covenant relationship with God. Well, because clearly what's happening between Hosea and Gomer is real, but it's also an illustration that God is wanting to use as a picture illustration, a real picture illustration to the people of Israel. He says, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. So the point is, is that Hosea, you are to go love, forgive, and, and bring Gomer back even though she has committed adultery, and this is exactly what I'm doing to my covenant people. We could put down here in verse four, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. We'll come back to some of that, but the point is, the focus here is ultimately not on Hosea and Gomer. The focus is on God and his covenant people. When we begin to think about the gospel story is that God loved us. He created us as his covenant people. There was a covenant made with Adam and Eve in creation. It's called the Edemic Covenant where God commanded and created this relationship with Adam. And the command was, be faithful to me. Do not eat of this fruit. And you go, well, is that really that big of a deal? The big deal is not as much that he ate, but when he ate, he chose to be unfaithful to God. He chose to commit adultery. He chose to be unfaithful to God. And see, the story of Scripture as it relates to mankind is all of us are like Gomer. All of us in God's grace and God's choosing of us despite our sinfulness and despite knowing that we would rebel against him and despite knowing we have rebelled against him, he has chosen us and yet we still are as his created beings, his chosen in his image, Genesis 3, we chose to adulterate and rebel against him. And so as we look at the story of Hosea and Gomer, I want us to see three layers to it. First, we see the relationship of Hosea and Gomer. Second, we see the relationship of God and his covenant people in the Old Testament, Israel. And third, we see the relationship of God in all of his people throughout history. This is a story of us. Pastor, how have I adulterated God? How have I 
done that? I, I'm a good person. How have I adulterated God? And you got to understand, when we think about adultery, it, it is used in the language of covenant relationship where there's an expectation of faithfulness. There's an expectation that you are going to be faithful to the other person. And the moment you and I sin, sin defined this way, choosing to worship ourselves instead of worshiping God or choosing to worship anything other than, than God, then we are committing adultery. We're, the chief end of man, the reason why we're created is to glorify him for all eternity and to enjoy him forever. But the moment we put our pleasure and enjoyment in something else, then those are moments of adultery. One of the reasons as we're in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, one of the reasons and one of the things that fasting does in my life is it begins to pull back the layers of the pleasure in my life. It shows me how as I crave physically due to hunger and as I crave, it's beginning to show my heart's desire for pleasure of the things of this world. It begins to show my heart's desire for the pleasure of food. And it begins to pull back how my heart and my idol brings and seeks pleasure in the things of this world. Guess what? That is spiritual adultery to God because we are called to enjoy him. Our pleasure is to be found in him and we are to glorify him. John Piper famously said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And if we are called to glorify him, then we do that by being satisfied in him. And when we seek satisfaction in the things of this world, we are not glorifying him. We're glorifying ourselves in the things of this world. Hence, universal adultery. So let us see from this, truth number one, universal adultery. But let us see truth number two, costly forgiveness. Costly forgiveness. Look at verse two with me. What does it say? It says, so I, Hosea speaking, thinking and writing, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Now, we don't know exactly the cost of this because we don't really know precisely what a homer or a lethic is and as we would try to translate that amount to today. But the best estimates is it's not cheap. It's costly. And even the language in the Hebrew of what it means that he bought her, it gives a picture that he had to bargain for her, meaning that the cost that he paid, he was barely able to pay it. That it had a picture that what he did pay was all he could pay. And it was finally acceptable unto whoever he was paying. And this is where was she in slavery? Was it in, where was she and what condition did she find herself in? That he had to buy her back to have her unto himself. But the idea in the picture is this was not cheap. That in order for him to forgive her he, and bring her back, he had to pay a costly price. Not just a costly physical price, but a costly spiritual and emotional price. Forgiveness is costly. To forgive her and bring her back cost Hosea greatly. When we think about forgiveness in general, a lot of times we think about and we say statements that we, we should just forgive, and we should. That scripture calls us forgive, and absolutely it does. Scripture tells us that if we don't forgive our brother or sister in their sin, then the Father's not going to forgive us. Forgiveness is a big deal. And then we are called to forgive. But let us understand something. Forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness is never free. Forgiveness always costs something. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say someone steals $100 from me. 
right? Or someone steals $1,000. Whatever the amount is, pick the amount in your head that's going to help you feel the weight of this. Let's say someone steals $100. That $100 is a lot of money to me, right? $1,000 is a lot of money. If I choose to let it go and forgive them, what did that cost me? That cost me that money. If I say, you know what, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to let this go and I expect it nothing in return, I forgive you, I expect nothing back, then it costs me that, month, that, that $100. Someone has to pay the price. If I choose not to forgive and I force the money back, well, I get the money back. It didn't cost me forgiveness. For me to forgive is going to cost me giving up something. It's going to cost me letting go of what was taken from me. See, forgiveness is not easy because forgiveness costs us something. When we look at the tragedies of the world around us, especially in the tragedies of someone hurting someone else, and I can't and I need to take a moment and just speak to the reality of once again the racial tension that is popping up in our country. And I'm not going to say a lot here because Charles and I are going to do a whole podcast on this in the days to come. But I want to just use an example here as we think about forgiveness is because there has been a horrific crime against someone and a horrific hurt against someone that is that has once again happened that is in the spotlight and it is not an isolated incident it's not an isolated racial incident but even if we just take race out of it we just talk about the hurt in general point is in great moments like that where where I will see people go we must just forgive and we must learn to forgive one another absolutely they're right but let me not minimize the reality that that forgiveness cost greatly for a parent to forgive someone who has taken the life of their son it's going to cost them greatly that forgiveness is going to cost them ultimately the price has been paid in the son and i want us to see a picture here that when we look at the forgiveness that is due or excuse me the forgiveness that is given freely unto us by Christ. I want you to to understand the language there. It's very intentional. Forgiveness that is freely given to us, it is free to you, but it costs him his life. The picture as we look at Hosea and Gomer here is the fact that, that she is once again in captivity due to her sin, due to her actions. The covenant relationship is broken. And she is in her sin. In order to get her back, it costs Hosea greatly. Listen to me. You and I are in captivity due to our sin. Un, or excuse me, universal adultery has brought us into a need for forgiveness. But that forgiveness is free to receive from you and I. And it was free for Gomer to receive. But it was costly for Hosea. And the gospel is, is that forgiveness is not free, but Christ paid the price that you and I could not pay to buy us back from the bondage of slavery. Ephesians 2 makes this clear. And I tie it in once again for what we just talked about with the racial tension. Because Ephesians 2 then goes on to say in verses 11 and following that through that price and forgiveness between God and man, there is now a means for forgiveness between man and man that the reconciliation that Christ paid for with his blood 
has brought reconciliation between God and us and through the gospel and Ephesians 2.13 says, and through the same blood that was shed to buy our redemption back is the same blood that unites us as one. I want to be clear, I want to be careful. What I'm saying is not a statement towards my African brothers and sisters, African American brothers and sisters to say, just forgive and reconcile. No, I'm speaking and recognizing that to ask you to forgive the hundreds of years of racial injustice to forgive means once again, you have to pay the price for that racial injustice. And I, I say that I recognize, I recognize that that is costly. And I recognize that you are more than willing to once again, to pay that costly price for the, for the sake of reconciliation. But I'm speaking as a pastor, as a white pastor and saying, I pray And I will do in my personal ability and I will lead a church and I will speak up for a generation to pray pray that you never have to pay that again. And I want to see that the the change that needs to happen, I recognize for this reconciliation needs to take place is the wall of hostility that Ephesians 2 talks about has a lot to do with what's happening in the hearts of the privileged Americans in our society. I see that. I recognize that. And I'm tying it together because I believe it's a, a relevant thing that needs to get spoken about. But also, I want us to see Christians that we look at the pandemic around us, and we've been saying it for weeks that through this pandemic, we have a great opportunity for the church to rise up and to love and shine greatly in our community, to serve amidst this pandemic. But I believe the greater opportunity is right here in this issue of hostility between communities, hostility between races, and that through the gospel, gospel brings hope in a pandemic, but it also brings hope amidst trials and tribulations between individuals and groups and countries and people. So just as quickly as we are to offer the gospel in a pandemic, let us offer the gospel, let us serve, let us sacrifice for the sake of racial reconciliation and let us do our part and let us see that forgiveness is costly. And I want you to see even above all of that, even above the emotions and the tension of the injustice of racial uh, 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 divides and even amidst the injustice of what we see with Hosea and Gomer here of, of Hosea having to pay the price constantly, not, with his, not just with his money, but with his emotions and constantly is the one being hurt in this uh, uh, covenant relationship. As we see the hurt of adultery, for those that are listening to this and you have felt the pain of adultery before, I know right now you're, you're feeling even more than I could ever feel because I haven't experienced that. You're feeling what Hosea is going through to pay the price to buy the woman back who cheated on him over and over and over again and sold herself into prostitution and slavery. And you're supposed to go forgive her and buy her back. That is costly. But eternity more than that, infinitely more than that, 
is what Christ has done for us. When our cost was so great, but he loved us so great. The story of Hosea is the story of a loving God who bought us back by giving up his son through death on the cross. I pray that you're outraged at the injustice in our world. I pray that you're outraged in the hurt in this world. I pray that you're outraged with the thought of unfaithfulness in marriage. But I, I pray that you would see, lovingly, I pray that you would see that in our relationship with God, we are the adulterer. We are the ones who day after day are unfaithful to him, yet he is faithful to us and he has bought us back. Would you see that he has paid a great price? Would you receive the grace of Jesus in your life and allow the gospel to give you hope, to give you forgiveness, to give you reconciliation, both with God and with man, both with God and in your marriage, both with God and within your friends and your family. Let you see that the gospel has paid the price to make that possible. Truth number one, we see universal adultery. Truth number two, we see costly forgiveness. But then truth number three, we see unwavering faithfulness. This gives us hope. This gives us a challenge nonetheless. Look at verse three with me. He says this, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore. You must be faithful is what he's saying or belong to another man. You must not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. I will be faithful to you. The same situation, he is remaking this covenant with her. There is an unwavering faithfulness that is expected. Now, I want you to get and I want you to see and understand that she started this story with wavering unfaithfulness. That she was constantly unfaithful. She wavered into unfaithfulness. Despite her wavering unfaithfulness, through the costly forgiveness, she is bought back and comes back into covenant relationship with Hosea and is redeemed to what? Unwavering faithfulness. See, the gospel does a change in our hearts. Does a work in our hearts and when all our hearts can do is to go unfaithful, the gospel regenerates and gives us a new heart that, it, that desires and worships the Lord, that desires and worships the things of God, desires and worships the seeing the kingdom come here on earth, and it calls us to unwavering faithfulness. In your relationship with God, is unwavering faithfulness a mark of your life? Now I want to, before we go legalistic with this, I wanna be very clear that if I look at my life in a lot of ways, unwavering faithfulness is a characteristic that I struggle with, no doubt about it. Because my heart still, as I'm trying to shed the sinful flesh of my past, it still at times greatly longs for the things of this world. Once again, it's one of the reasons why I fast it's because fasting does a work in me where it breaks down my flesh. It exposes, hunger exposes how much I pleasure the things of this world. 
as opposed to the things of God. It shows me where I am unfaithful to God. It shows me my sin. All my sin is heightened while I'm fasting. All temptations are heightened when I'm fasting. Why? Because the, the flesh is, being, is under pressure. The flesh is being exposed in our weakness is being examined. So I'll encourage you that I say that and I give the challenge to unwavering faithfulness as a challenge to what God's calling you to, not as a statement of condemnation. Because forgiveness has been bought and he is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. The story of Hosea. But we are still called to unwavering faithfulness. Might we be steadfast in our faithfulness to God. So in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, how is it or what is it that God has exposed in your heart to show you your need to confess sin, your need to let go of the pleasures of this world in order to rest in the goodness of God? It's not, and I wanna be clear, we often think about giving up in the pleasures of this world as God wants us to be live a life that's not full of pleasure. No, you're missing the point. It's not giving up pleasure of this world to live a life that is not pleasurable, but it's recognizing that the pleasures of this world do not even compare to the pleasures of the kingdom of God. That what God offers us is far greater than the pleasures of this world. You're not giving up something, you're gaining everything in Jesus. Might you see that today? Might you turn to him today? Might you give your life to him today? I pray that today's sermon does not leave you feeling condemned in sin. I do pray this sermon though does let you see clearly how you have been unfaithful and adulterated yourself against God by whoring yourselves in the worship of the things of this world. I'm right there with you. But let us also see that the price has been paid, that we have been bought back through the blood of Jesus and there's salvation through Christ alone. Would you put your faith in him today? Would you surrender to him as Lord and Savior today? Would you bow to him and say, I worship you. I give my life to you. I confess you as Lord today. Just take a moment right now where you are and just reflect on that truth. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes right where you are and just ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart right now. Christian who's listening to this, who right now the Holy Spirit is convicting you of places where you're Gomer, convicting you of places of where you have rebelled against God or where there's sin in your life or where you've adulterated God by not being faithful to him. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to bring that conviction? He's bringing that conviction not to condemn you, but to convict you and sanctify you and to cleanse you of that and invite you more and more into that unwavering faithfulness. Would you respond through humble submission and adoration to Christ right now? To the non-believer, Would you respond in salvation for the first time? Would you bow your knees to him? Would you confess him as Lord? Would you confess him as Lord? We hope today's message was encouraging for you. 
We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.